Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you've given to us throughout today, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as I uh, begin to share my testimony with this uh, group, this wonderful group of people, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit may be with me, that the words that come out of my mouth may be yours and not mine. And most importantly, Lord, that we may leave this room today with a new understanding of what it is to be um, a Christian, Lord, and what it is to give ourselves to you wholly. Uh, thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So before we begin, I just want to go, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, to the book of Luke. And um, the reason why is because I like to kind of interwine my testimony with the story of the prodigal child. Um, and so it's a very common story, but I like to go over it uh, before I share my testimony, only because sometimes we forget uh, important pieces of that story. So if we can just go to the book of Luke. And we're going to go to chapter 15. <clears throat> okay, and then I'll begin reading the story. And it says, and he said, a certain man who had two sons, and the younger, and the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with, with a riotous living, or in other versions that says prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many higher servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy higher servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now we've heard this story multiple times and many times we say, yeah, I can relate to it. I understand. But from my personal experience, I can honestly say that when I read this story, I can read it over and over and over again. And I can still see my personal testimony being the same exact testimony of that prodigal son who left his father's home looking for a better life out in the world. And so in the book of Jeremiah chapter uh, 1 and verse 5 it says, Before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee, and before you came forth out of the womb I sanctified thee. And the reality is that many times Satan will have us believe that what's the point anymore? Especially when he tempts us and for whatever reason we just fall into his temptation, he makes us feel like you know, worthless, and what's the point of even going on? 
But the reality is that here we have a promise from God. It says that before he formed us in the belly, he knew us. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. And so he knows that you're going to make mistakes. But despite of your mistakes, he's still there for you. He's still willing to pick you up. And that's the beautiful part of, of, of God. It says, before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. So each one of you sitting here today are sanctified to do a special work in this world. And it's up to you to allow God to show you what it is that he desires for you to do. So I was born um, in Colombia um, to a mother, to a woman who's actually a prodigal child herself. You know, my mother grew up well, without a mother. Her mother passed away when she was, a, uh, she was very young. She was only 11 years old when she passed away. And my father grew up not having a father in his life and not really knowing who God was. And so my father grew up as a non-believer, and my mother grew up in the Adventist faith, but when her mother passed away, she kind of walked away from the faith, and, you know, she began to live her own life, and she, began, she became a prodigal child herself. And so I was born to a prodigal child. And so because I was born into this home where there was no foundation, no holy foundation, I grew up not really knowing who God was. Up until the age of seven, I lived in Colombia with both of my parents. But unfortunately, one day, my parents decided that, you know, it was time to be able to provide more than what they were able to provide in Colombia for their children. And so they came to a decision that they were going to both apply for visas to come to the United States. And uh, whoever got approved with the girls, being my sister and I, was going to be the parent to come and provide a better life for, for us. Uh, they were not married, and so there was really no legal bond that, were, that was holding them together. And so the embassy wasn't obligated to give him and her an, a visa. It was really whoever got lucky and got it first, right? And so my mother, my sister, and I got approved, but my father wasn't. And so I remember this day um, back in 1999 when we embarked on a journey that literally changed our lives forever in so many different ways. And so um, as I moved here from Colombia, at first, you know, it was uh, traumatizing for me because obviously being, in, being with my father, I mean, most girls are daddy's girls, right? So I was a daddy's girl. I literally did everything with my dad. He was my best friend. And so having to be ripped away from that, it was very traumatizing for me. And I didn't know exactly what it, what it is that we're what I was experiencing because as a child, it's very hard for you to vocalize your feelings. It's very hard for you to express exactly what it is that you're feeling. So I wasn't sure what I was feeling, but I knew that I felt empty now, right? There was something missing in my life, and I, I wasn't quite sure how to get it back. And so we moved here, and we began a new life. But Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And you see, many times we don't understand the plans that God has for us. Many times we say, why, God, why? But he says, because I know the end from the beginning. I know what path I'm leading you through. Don't worry about anything. And that's exactly what he was telling me, even though I couldn't understand his voice yet. But it was a tough journey. It was very tough because now my mother was a single mother. She was now raising a three-year-old and a seven-year-old on her own. What was she going to do? What, is, what does any single mother do when they realize that they are now the providers for the home, the sole provider for the home? They work, right? They have to work. They have to make sure that they have enough money to feed their family. And so at the age of seven, I experienced my first heartbreak. But not only that, I lost that bond with my mother 
that I, w I would have desired to have uh, been built upon as I got older because now my mother was a single mother and because of that she had to work up to three jobs just to be able to provide for us. So not only was I missing that father figure in my life, my best friend, my first husband as, as, some, as some people say it, but now I was also missing that connection with my mother because now she was also absent from the home because she had to work so much. But by the age of nine years old, um, my grandfather came to visit us from Colombia, and he had always been an Adventist. And so the first thing that he wanted to do when he came to visit was find a Spanish church to go to, right, a Hispanic church. Um, so we went to church with him, and I got introduced to Pathfinders. You know, I got introduced to the church choir, and I started doing all of these different things in the church, and I began to get involved and began making new friends. And for a moment there, I thought my life, okay, my life is getting a little better. So by the age of 10, I decided that I wanted to get baptized, which, you know, everybody says amen usually, but the reality is that by the age of 10, I was going through things that I couldn't tell anybody. And so my reason for baptism was really to cover up something that I was going through inside. You see, because my mother had to work so much, and really when I say she had to work so much, I really mean it. There were times where I barely saw her. There were times where I would see her only when she would tuck me into bed at night. And that was very tough for me as a little girl growing up without a father. And so the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But then Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, by the age of eight years old, because my mother had to work so much, and she had to find all these different babysitters, in the midst of all of that, the devil came into my life, and he introduced molestation to me. So by the age of 10 years old, I got baptized, but the reality was that I was trying to hide the fact that I felt disgusted with myself because I was being sexually abused by three different men who were very close to the family. Men who I looked at as father figures because, hey, I didn't have a father next to me, and so I'm looking to these men for, for guidance, for counseling, and here they are abusing the trust that my mother had entrusted on them. So I was very confused, I was very angry, and I felt... Um, kind of robbed, right? I felt kind of robbed because my father wasn't here to protect me. My mother wasn't here to guide me. And God, where are you? You know, you're supposed to be the one that protects me. You're supposed to be the one that, that is here for me, that loves me. You are supposed to be my heavenly father. And yet you're acting as absent as my real father is. So I began to grow this resentment towards God. I began to grow this resentment towards my parents. And before you know it, the devil started planting these little seeds in my mind that told me that maybe... I was just a mistake, that maybe I should have been born a boy. And I started to water these seeds with my mind. I started to water these seeds with my imagination, and I began to tell myself, you know what, maybe I should have been born a boy. Maybe if I, don't, if I would have been born a boy, I would be able to protect myself, and because I would have been able to protect myself, I wouldn't be enduring the sexual abuse that I'm going through right now. And so I began to struggle with transgenderism. Before I even knew what that was, before I even knew that that word existed, I began to struggle with it. And as I got older, these feelings just kept growing more and more. And I couldn't fight them. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. And so by the time I got older, I started to little by little sneak in the boy's clothes without my mother looking at me. And little by little, I began to adapt this personality that I truly believe represented who I am. Mind, character, and personality says that it is a law, both of the intellectual and the spiritual nature, that by beholding, we become changed. 
the mind gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which it is allowed to dwell. It becomes assimilated to that which it is accustomed to love and to reverence. You see, my mind was beholding this idea of me being transgender. And by beholding, I was becoming changed into this person that I really believed that I was. With all of my heart, I really believed that I was a boy trapped in a girl's body. I hated the way that I looked. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror because I felt that I was a mistake. The devil had planted that seed in my mind, and by my own distrust in the word of God, I was watering that seed until it blossomed into a big tree that I didn't know how to cut anymore. When I got to high school, my appearance really started to change. It began to change, and then in high school, I met a young boy who became my best friend. And at first, I wasn't so sure why I was able to connect with him so much. We just clicked. It was so instant that we became best friends. And little by little, I began to see that he was a little different than everybody else. And one day, he approaches me, and he says, I have, I have a secret to tell you. And then he proceeds to tell me that he's bisexual. Now, if I didn't know what transgender was, I didn't know what being gay was. It, this was all, you know, I'm a church girl. I, I don't know any of these terms, right? Mm -hmm. But I knew that there was something intriguing about that. And when I, when I wanted to inquire about what this was exactly, and he began to tell me that he was attracted to the same sex, my mind just like, it just clicked. And the devil was just like, not only are you transgender, but you're also gay. I didn't know that I was struggling with same-sex attraction until it was brought to my face. And so he introduced me to a group of his friends, and one of his friends was a young girl who became instantly drawn to me. I'm not sure why, because to be quite honest with you, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. But, he, but here this girl is looking at me, and she's drawn to me. She's attracted to me. And before you know it, at the age of 14, I experienced my first girl and girl relationship. Now, this relationship only lasted about three or four days the most. But it was literally everything that the devil needed to confirm something in me that I didn't even know existed. You see, if this friend would have never approached me about his sexual attraction, maybe I would have never realized that, wow, maybe I'm struggling with the same thing. But because of his disposition to tell me his personal feelings, I was exposed to this whole new world that I was instantly drawn to. I was instantly drawn to the fact that they're different, and I wanted to fit in because, you see, I felt like the black sheep of my house. I couldn't fit in with them because there were so many things that I was hiding from my parents that I felt like at home I couldn't fit in. I knew that I wasn't the same as my church friends, and so here I am trying to battle in my mind, where is it that I belong? I want to be a boy so desperately, so where is it that I belong? And so when he opened up this new door for me, it was almost like I found my place. I found my home. And I, found, I felt in my heart that I had found where I belonged. There is a, a quote that's found in Education, page 291, that says, The youth have an inborn love of liberty. They desire freedom. And they need to understand that these inestimable blessings are to be enjoyed only in obedience to the law of God. This law is the preserver of true freedom and liberty. It points out and prohibits those things that degrade and enslave. And thus, to the obedient, it affords protection from the power of evil. You see, I'm pretty sure you guys are all aware, but when somebody gets an inheritance from their parents, it's usually when their parents pass away, right? So this prodigal son, here he was asking his father for his inheritance. His father was very much alive. But as I read this story, I realized 
that this son was in a way telling his father that he wished his father was dead. He was telling his father that I'm done with you. You're dead to me. Whether you're alive or not, you're dead to me. And so give me my things and I'll be on my way. And that's exactly how I felt. Because when I finally got the courage to come out to my mother, I was expecting a different reaction. Because when somebody loves you, you expect them to accept you and to love you despite of what it is that you're going through. But instead, what I got from my mother, it wasn't really rejection. It was more confusion. And I was angry at that confusion because I couldn't understand why she didn't understand what I was going through. Right? But the reality was that she didn't know what I was going through because I had never expressed to her any of my feelings. And so she was taken back at this because, I mean, just think about it. A parent for the first time finding out that their child is struggling with homosexuality. And... You know, for, for a child that's struggling with it, they just expect their parents to automatically say, yay, I'm so happy for you. But when that's not the reaction that they get, it turns into anger, it turns into resentment. And so in my mind, I thought, my mother doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't recognize who I am anymore. And so the, the little bit of relationship that we did have, it kind of ended the day that I told her that I was gay. And so little by little, I began to push her away even more to the point where I was just like, you know what? I don't, want to do, I don't want to deal with you anymore, and I want to go my own way. I wanted freedom. And many times we want, we want that freedom from the law of God. We don't want to know that we're doing anything wrong. We don't want to even think about the fact that we're living in sin. But the reality is that the law of God is what sets us free from sin. So just think about it. This young man, this prodigal son, he wanted freedom from the bondage that he felt that he was living in at home. But the reality was that that so-called bondage was the thing that was keeping him from the destruction that he was going to receive on the outside. So in essence, by me telling God that I wanted freedom from his law, what I was pretty much telling him was that I wanted to be a slave to sin. And that's exactly what I became. I became a slave to sin. When I turned 17, I completely left the church. I said church wasn't for me anymore. Because when they saw a picture of me and my ex-girlfriend circling around social media, instead of taking me in and asking me if I needed prayer or if I was okay, the first thing that they did was that they shunned me and they closed the door on my face. Instead, what my family received was bullying. We were no longer a loved family in the church. We were now the black sheep of the church. And instead of them taking my mother in and asking her if she needed prayer, they started making fun of her daughter her daughter that was struggling with transgenderism. And so I walked into this culture that, opened, that welcomed me with open arms, and I said, this is home. This is where I belong. And it was so quick for me to, to be drawn into this, uh, I called it a black hole. It was so easy for me to be drawn into this black hole because it showed me everything that I thought that I was missing. To me, this was freedom. To me, this was liberty. But the reality was that my heart was only leading me to destruction. The Bible says in Romans 1.22 that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I was one of the biggest fools you would have ever met. I began to live my life the way that I wanted to live it. I began to live on the outside the way that I felt on the inside. This is how I felt. I felt that I was a boy. And so I began to dress according to what my desires told me that I was. But the reality is that Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know it? 
We don't even know how wicked and deceitful our hearts are. But God knows, and so does the devil. And because the devil knows how deceitful and wicked our hearts are, he knows that if he continues to push that button, one day you could possibly crack. And that's exactly what happened to me. He kept pushing that button. He kept pushing that button until one day I just finally cracked. And I said, here I am. This is, this is me. You either accept me or you get out of my life. And that was my attitude towards everybody. I began to grow resentment not only towards my family, but also and especially toward God. I felt that God hated me for who I was, and so I hated him in return. How can a God who loves his creation call me an abomination? How can a God who loves the people that he created tell me that I'm wrong? Maybe he was the one that was wrong. And so I started to really believe this, and I began to hate Christians because to me, Christians were just the Christians that you see in the gay parade who are waving around the sign that says God created AIDS because of gays. That was my picture of God. That was my reality of who my Redeemer was. The sad reality that most LGBTQ people are living right now. They believe this image of God, this false image of God that only the devil could have been the one to create it. But I praise God that he doesn't give up on his children. Because in my life, there was a turning point. There was a turning point. Uh, back in 2014, um, Michael shared with you this little story <laughs> uh, in the morning. But I got to the point in my life where I realized that my life wasn't providing enough happiness for me. The reality was that I was depressed. And as much as I would go clubbing, as much as I would smoke weed, and as much as I would drink alcohol, and as much as I would have pretty girls around me, it wasn't enough to satisfy my real desire. You see, I had a hole in my heart, this emptiness that nothing could fill. Nothing at all could fill. No matter how much music I listened to, no matter how much alcohol I drank, no matter how much weed I smoked, it, it didn't matter. That hole was forever going to be empty if I didn't have Jesus Christ in it. And so one day I decided that it was time. I said, I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do. I just know that, that God doesn't want me to be gay. And so... Let me just give it a shot. And I remember one time being in uh, Ikea with my mother, with my family. And at this time, I was dating somebody. And I was actually living with this person. And we get to Ikea, and, and something was just in my heart telling me to, that it's time. Carol, Carol, it's time. You have to let it go. You know, because I grew up in the church, and so I knew all the scriptures that says that b being gay is wrong. But I didn't want to believe it. I couldn't picture in my mind how... I thought that I was born this way, and yet God is calling me a mistake, right? Or so I believed. And we're in Ikea, and I'm telling my mother, Mom, I, I think I want to go back to church. I think I want to go back to church, but I know that I have to stop dating girls. And I think for my mom, it was kind of, she was taken back to hear that. And I didn't know that this whole time, before I even told her any of this, my mother had been praying for me. She had been praying for me for a long time. You see, my mother, when I turned 19, I was at my lowest point in my life. I was, um, I was homeless. I didn't really have anybody because I had chosen to live my life the way that I desired to live it. And so my mother had been going through a divorce and through that divorce, uh, she had to move in with her friend because of financial difficulties. And because I was also going through financial difficulties, I decided that I was going to move in with my mother. It's not that I wanted to live with her, it was that really I had no choice. And isn't it wonderful to know that even a mother who sees how much her child pushes her away is still willing to open up her doors and take her in. Isn't that how God is with us? Because we push God away so much, and yet when we say, okay, God, I'm ready, he says, all right, come on in. 
right? And so my mother opened up the doors of her friend's home to me, and um, I didn't know how to act, right? So her, her friend only had one rule, and her rule was that whoever's going to sleep in this house tonight has to be in by 10 o'clock at night. That was her only rule. And uh, by 10 o'clock, I don't know if any of you guys have ever lived a party life, but by 10 o'clock, you're just getting ready to go out to the club, right? So 10 o'clock really wasn't cutting it for me. So uh, time after time, I would do something to be able to leave the house either before or try to sneak out after 10 o'clock. And one day her friend was just like, you know what, I'm sorry. I love you, but she can't stay here anymore. I can't keep allowing her to break the rules of my home. There's a reason why these rules are input. And if she can't keep them, then she just can't stay here. And as I think about it more and more, I realize that God is the same way. God allows us to come back to him. And he gives us chance after chance to follow his law. And finally, when we finally rejected him as much as he can possibly allow us to, he says, I'm sorry, but I can't do it anymore. I've tried time and time again, and I love you so much. But because I love you so much, I won't have you be miserable next to me. And so he has to just let us go. So my mom's friend had to let me go. And after she let me go, I really had nowhere to go. And so I was roaming from house to house trying to find my new home. But the reality is that when everything went dark for me, none of my friends were there to support me. None of the friends that I would go clubbing with or spend money on were there to give me a hand. None of them were there to open the doors of their home to me. And so one day in the middle of the winter, here I am walking home, and it's pitch dark because it's about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like halfway drunk, and I'm walking down the street in the middle of the winter, and I'm just walking. And, you know, to me, it's normal because I, I, I used to do this all the time. But this one particular day, my mother was on her way to work. You see, my mother is a very hard worker. And so she gets up at 4 in the morning to go to work. And this one day, she just so happened to be walking, uh, driving down the same bridge that I was walking down. And she tells, whenever she tells me this story, I get really emotional. So I'm, I'm glad that she's not here right now. <laughs> but um, she's walking, she's driving down this bridge. And she says that she sees somebody that was walking like her daughter. And she sees me walking down this bridge with my hoodie on in the middle of the winter, and she knew that that was me. She couldn't see my face, but she knew that that was me. And she says that she pulls her car over, and she couldn't drive anymore. She just sat there in her car, and she began to sob. And she cried because she couldn't believe that her daughter was choosing to be out in the world. She didn't have to be out in the world. She chose to be out in the world. And that's exactly how we are with God. You see, God tells us, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go out there and suffer. All the answers that you may have for your problems are right here with me. And he watches us as we're walking down that lonely road, and he cries for us. He cries, and he cries bitter tears because he says, I died for them. I died for you, and yet you're choosing to walk away from me. That was the point that I was at. And after that, God, he didn't give up on me. He didn't give up on me. And one day my friend, uh, my friend Tammy, she, she bought me a bus ticket to, come down, to go down to Virginia. And at this point, I was so ready to just leave everything behind because I had finally left the clubs. I had finally stopped drinking. I had finally stopped smoking weed. But there was just one more thing that I couldn't let go of. You see, I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to masturbation. I couldn't stop dating women. I just, I couldn't stop. 
I couldn't stop my attraction to women. I couldn't stop feeling that I was transgender. I couldn't stop uh, having this desire in my heart that I wanted to be a boy desperately. And so I decided to take her up on her offer. But even on the very same day that I was going to get on this bus down to Virginia, the devil was like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't go down there. Just call up your friends, and you guys can go out. You guys can, you know, have a beer. Just don't go. And I was ready to tell her I'm not going. And she sends me a text and says, if you're, te if you're thinking in your mind that you're not coming, you have to come because that bus ticket is non-refundable. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, I guess I'm going. So I get on the bus, and uh, we get down to Virginia, and we're driving to Heartland, and um, we hit to Deer. You see, the devil wasn't giving up. <laughs> But when God has a plan for you, there's nothing that can get in the way of that, right? So we're driving down to Virginia, and we finally get down to Heartland. And I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that she was taking me to some church event. And I really didn't want to be, you see, I was hesitant because I didn't have a good relationship with Christians, right? I didn't like Christians. Uh, but, you know, you guys are all Christians here. So if you guys have any friends that are still out in the world, I encourage you to keep praying for them. Because it was because of friends like Tammy, because of friends like Miguel, that I'm here today. So I, I praise God for, for godly friends, right? And so we get down to Heartland, and we're sitting in the gymnasium, and the program's getting ready to begin, and Michael comes out, and I really didn't want to hear him. I didn't want to hear this man talk. <laughs> so I grab, out, I grab my phone, and I just want to go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they, there's no internet in the gymnasium. <laughs> so I was stuck listening to this testimony, but I, I praise God that I, that I was stuck listening to it. Because as he's speaking, as he's sharing his powerful testimony, God is just talking to me. And he doesn't yell at me. He doesn't say, what are you doing? I told you that you were wrong. Instead, he comes to me in a calm, still voice. And he says, Carol, if I can do that for Michael, what makes you think that I can do that for you? So the next day we go and we have lunch at the Rikers home. <laughs> and uh, we go have lunch there. And Coming Out Ministries was there again. It's like I couldn't get away from them, right? <laughs> so we sit to have lunch, and uh, at that time, I had dreadlocks, right? So I had dreadlocks, and the first thing that Michael says to me to break the ice was, can I touch your hair? And I kind of look at him like, oh, I don't know you, but sure. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so he begins to talk to me, and he just asked me to tell him his, my story, and I'm talking to him, and I, I will always remember this. He grabs my hand, and we were, we're both crying at this point. He grabs my hand, and he asks me if he can pray for me. And as he's praying for me, he says this prayer that I will never forget. He says, when Jesus comes to take us home, I pray that I see you there. Amen. And I will never forget that because I feel like that was the jump start to my journey back home, right? And so something happened. Something happened. Who remembers this? Was this? Same-sex marriage, right? <laughs> Same-sex marriage was uh, was approved in the um, in the Supreme Court for the whole for the whole country, and so I went to Heartland in 2014, and just month, not even a year later, this happens. And I remember when this happened, um, I was actually making plans to go down to Columbia to visit my father because you see. In my mind, I felt that in order for me to really be right with God, I had to be right with my family, right? And so my father and I didn't have a good relationship because of everything that had, that had uh, happened in the course of my life. 
I had pushed him away to the point that I really didn't want anything to do with him. But God was showing me that there was things that I needed to hear that I wasn't giving him the opportunity to share with me. And so I decided that, you know, even though I don't have a good relationship with my father, he deserves more than to see his, son, his, his daughter dressed up like a boy. Even though in my, inside of my heart I felt that I was a boy, I felt that my dad deserved more than that. And so I decided to, to cut my hair, to chop my hair off, and I decided that I was going to, uh, to change my wardrobe. Now, that was one of the toughest parts for me. Because to go from something that I, I dress in normally, you know, it's down to my underwear, it was men's clothing. And I didn't even know how to even begin to shop for women's clothing. So I remember telling my sister, here's my debit card, go to the store and buy me something. So she comes back from the mall and she has, you know, thank God that she knows me because she bought me just, you know, sweatpants. I wore sweatpants, but she just bought me sweatpants from the women's section. <laughs> t-shirts, I wore t-shirts, but she bought me t-shirts from the women's section. So it, was, it began with little changes like that. And I remember putting on the first outfit that I owned that was, you know, womanly. And it was really just some, you know, sweatpants that were a little tighter and a t-shirt that was a little tighter. And I remember looking in the mirror and I just looked at myself and I couldn't stop looking at myself. And for the first time ever, I saw myself as a daughter of God, not as a son, not as a transgender, but finally saw myself as, as a girl, as a woman. And I will never forget that moment. But then a few, a couple months later, as I'm planning to go down to Colombia, this comes on in the news. And for me, this was a very defining moment in my, in my walk. You see, I didn't even know that this was happening because I don't, I don't watch the news. But I just remember getting a text message from my best friend. And her message said, congratulations. And I couldn't figure out why she was telling me congratulations because my birthday is in September. <laughs> but, but I asked her, what's going on? And she says, well, haven't you heard? You know, gay marriage was approved in the country. And I couldn't even respond to her message because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. And my mind instantly fell into depression, you can say, you know. I was, I was kind of taken back and I said, why, why now? You know, I'm finally trying to give my heart to you. And you allow this to happen. Why now? This was probably the biggest defining moment in my, in my Christian walk. Because I could either stay where I was and say, you know what? I can finally have everything that I've ever wanted. I can finally have a wife. I can finally have, you know, a family. Or, <coughs> excuse me, or I can walk away from it and I can allow you to define me, to define who I am. Thank you. You know, there's a movement going on right now where people are calling themselves gay Christians. And in my mind, I thought, well, maybe I can be that, right? I want to I love God. I, I want to go to church and do all these things, but why do I have to leave behind my identity, right? And so this day I decided, you know what? I can't. I, I can't have both. You see, in, in my heart, I always knew that this wasn't okay. And I did it anyway just because I wanted to do it, because my heart was telling me that I, that I was, and so I wanted to act according to my own desires. But the reality was that I knew deep down that God had a different plan. This wasn't God's original plan. 
And so in this moment, I could either stay where I was and continue to live in a lie, knowing that I'm rejecting the word of God, or I can allow him to define who I am in his eyes. I can allow him to show me who it was that he created me to be. And so I decided to walk away from all of this and walk into the arms of God. So the question is right now, before I continue, is there such thing as a gay Christian? And I want to hear your feedback on this. Is there such thing as a gay Christian? Yes. Why? So there are many reasons why this term as a gay Christian, it's, to me, it's, I don't even know, I don't really have the words to express like how I feel about the term. Um, I feel that it's kind of disrespectful, right? In the word Christian itself, we have the word Christ, right? So to me, being a Christian means that you're trying to be like Christ, right? You're trying to be Christ-like. And so uh, being gay is, is the opposite of being Christ-like, right? And, you know, I think, I think the LGBTQ community has a bad rep of who God is because of the bad Christians that are out there trying to preach the everlasting gospel without knowing what the everlasting gospel is, right? And so I remember going to the pride parades and uh, I, walked into the, I walked in the parades and I remember walking by the so-called Christians who had their signs up and were uh, specifically labeling uh, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22, right? Where it says that uh, the, the act of homosexuality is an abomination. And so they're calling the homosexuals abominations. Well, the reality is that the gay person is not an abomination. The act of being gay is an abomination, right? The action is, but the person isn't. And so I actually want to go there for a second. If you can just go into your Bibles to Leviticus 18.22. <clears throat> and the reason I'm going to this verse is because of that, because people misuse this verse way too often. And they don't really understand why it is that it's an abomination to God. So if you go to Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22, it says that thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. And so people take that verse and they just kind of slap people in the face with it, right? And says, you're gay, you're going to hell. But if we go to the last sentence in verse 23, it says, it is confusion. So right now, in 2018, I believe that we are living in a generation that is the most confused that ever has existed, right? We have so much knowledge. We have so much potential because of everything that God has given us. And yet, we are the most confused generation. We have no idea why God created us. We have no idea the purpose that we have in this life. And so we are coming up with these terms to cover up our sin and make them seem okay. But the reality is that, can there be such thing as a murdering Christian? Can there be such thing as a lying Christian or an adultering Christian, right? No, there, there can be no such thing as that. So why is it okay for us to label something as homosexuality as Christian? It's the same exact thing. But the problem is that as a society, we have put, as a church, we have put homosexuality above any other sin that there can ever exist. And that's false. Because if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> let 
Now we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. <clears throat> and we're going to read off a list of things that are evil in God's eyes, and things that will not allow us to get into heaven. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals or effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, rev nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There is a list of things that is mentioned here that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I don't see any of these labeled as ex-Christian, right? I don't ever see somebody being labeled as, uh, what is one of the things that says here? As a fornication, uh, fornicating Christian. They exist in the church, don't they? They exist in the church, and yet if you were to put those two terms together, they would be called ridiculous, but yet, as a church, we are accepting the fact that people are calling themselves gay Christians, and we're not doing anything about it. Now, I'm not saying that we have to go to somebody and bash them in the head with the Bible and say that you're wrong, because there is a loving way to talk to somebody, that, to show them the fact that God has an original plan. God created us with a purpose. He created us with a divine image. He created us in the image of Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as a society, we have diverted from that image and we have come up with our own image and we have presented it to God and said, here, this is who I am, accept it or else, right? Accept it or I'm leaving you. Accept it or you're not real. Accept it or you don't love me. But the reality is that God is saying, I don't accept it because I love you. I don't accept it because it's not good for you. I don't accept it because it drives me away from me or it drives you away from me. I don't accept it because it's not my original plan for you. But we have a hard time accepting that God actually has a plan for us. Jeremiah 1.5, I know, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans of good and not evil, to give you a future and an expected end. God has a plan for each and every one of us. This is not God's original plan, nor is it God's backup plan. <laughs> God only has one plan when it comes to marriage, when it comes to union, to a union between two people, and He instituted that in the Garden of Eden. We have no right in changing God's law. We have no right in saying what is right and what is wrong, because our hearts are deceitful above all things, and we don't even realize how deceitful they are. <clears throat> do not listen to the enemy's suggestion to stay away from Christ until you have made yourself better, until you are good enough to come to God. If you wait until then, you will never come. When Satan points to your filthy garments, repeat the promise of the Savior, Him that comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Tell the enemy of, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from how much sin? From all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. So I went to Colombia, and I finally saw my dad again after many years. When I left Colombia, I was seven years old. I didn't see him again until I was 16 years old, and I didn't see him, I didn't see him again until I was 20, 
23 or 24, 2015. Um, <clears throat> and like I told you guys before, my dad and I didn't have a good relationship. I had pushed him away for most of my life. And so when I got to Colombia, I realized that there were some things that I, I kind of misunderstood in my life. I, I had just noticed the fact that he was absent throughout my life, but I had never taken into consideration the fact that it was not his choice to be missing from my life. You see, as I told you in from the beginning, my dad grew up without a father. So he didn't really have a real family until my sister and I were born. And now the opportunity that he had to be the father that he never had was ripped away from him. I had never thought about his suffering. I had never thought about his pain. I had only thought about myself, and I was being selfish in my sin. And so because of that, I had kind of destroyed the relationship that could have been with my father. And I was only able to spend two weeks with him. But during those two weeks, God showed me that because of his separation from us, my dad, my dad had now given his heart to the Lord. My dad was now an elder who travels around Colombia to preaching. And so because of that unfortunate event that, that transpired in his life, he found something greater, which was the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we would have still been living in Colombia, none of us would probably be in the church right now. So I'm very thankful for that. And my mother here, after that day that she saw me walking down the, that lonely road, she began to uh, lift up my name in prayer to God every single day. She would get up in the morning every single day at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray for me for a whole hour. And let me tell you that prayer works. If it wasn't for those prayers of my mother, if it wasn't for the prayers of my father, of my godly friends, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so <clears throat> on September 2015, I decided to give my heart to the Lord again. I decided to get rebaptized, but this time I was doing it for a different reason. You see, when I first did it in, when I was 10, I was doing it to cover up something in myself that I couldn't hide. But when I got baptized in 2015, it's because I was giving everything that I thought belonged to me to God and saying, here, this doesn't belong to me. This was falsely uh, this was given to me by the devil. He falsely accused me of being this person, and I believed it for all these years. But now I'm giving you this fake identity back to you in hopes that you give me my real identity. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I am a new creature in Christ. Amen. So the question is, what is your identity? And many people today, whether they believe it or not, are struggling with an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. And many people believe that the answer to homosexuality is just being straight. But the reality is that many heterosexuals are struggling in sexual sin too. So it's not just a homosexual issue or a heterosexual issue, it's a sin issue. And the only way to fix the sin issue is through Jesus Christ. He is the only one that has the remedy to sin. He has given us that remedy in his word. But because we neglect the study of his word, we neglect the tools that were given to us to overcome sin. So I tell you today right now that your identity is only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in what the world tells you you are. It doesn't rely on the fact on what your heart tells you that you are because your heart is deceitful. But one person who isn't deceitful is Jesus Christ. And so if he tells you that you're a daughter of the Most High, it's because you are a daughter of the Most High. If he told you that you are a son of the King of Kings, it's because you are a son of the King of Kings. And so we have to take 
uh, the faith that we have and believe the words that he tells us because he is the redeemer of all men. He is the one that came to give us salvation, the salvation that we all need in order to make it to heaven. And our job is to just allow him to transform our lives. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. Only he can do it. And he already gave us that victory when he died on the cross for us that day. That day that we should always remember because that is the day that counts today. That is the only day that will ever count because that day was the day that he said, give me your burdens. Give me your burdens and I'll give you a brand new life. And so I hope that you guys were blessed by my testimony. And um, tomorrow, I don't know how many of you guys are struggling with anything or if you have somebody that you might need uh, help getting, getting through to or, you know, praying for how to communicate with them. Tomorrow I'm having, I'm having some counseling sessions. So if you guys are interested, here is the sign-up sheet, and you guys can sign up. Um, you know, I know that my sister back there says that her, her son is struggling with homosexuality. So if you want to come and talk to me tomorrow, you're more than welcome to. If any of you guys have know of anybody who is struggling and you want to be help to them, then you can come and talk to me tomorrow. You can also talk to Michael tomorrow. He'll also be doing counseling sessions. So we're here for you guys. And I just want to have a quick word of prayer before we end things off. Is that okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this blessed opportunity to be able to be here with my brothers and sisters, sharing this powerful testimony. Lord, your testimony in my life. It's not even my testimony. And I just thank you, Father, for all the things that you have done for me, for the blessings that you have bestowed upon me, even though I am not worthy of any of them, Lord. But I thank you because of your infinite love and grace. I am here today standing firm saying that, Lord, you are the one that has all the, all the answers. Your word is, is our, our sword and our shield, Lord. You are the only one that can give us any hope, any faith, anything that we may ever need in life. It is in you where we find our answers. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, for your love, for your patience, Lord, for your loving kindness. And I just ask, Father, that as we continue on with our um, afternoon, as we continue to travel to different sessions, that you bless us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the wisdom and understanding to really grasp what it is that is going on out in the world today. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.